Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey guys, on today's pod, I had on Adam Corsair of South of Essex to discuss the Mark Gasol acquisition and how he's integrating into the lineup so far to talk about what Jeremy Lin's doing with the team so far, and then finally to kind of talk about the final playoff rotation and what we expect to see from them the rest of the season. You can find all of Adam's work at southofthesix.com. He also has a podcast that covers both the Raptors and the Blue Jays at South of the Six. It's really great, so I suggest you guys both subscribe and rate and review that as well. Overall, I thought the pod went really well, so I hope you guys enjoy. Mike, how you doing? I am doing good. I would be doing better if the Raptors didn't just have perhaps one of their worst performances of the season most recently, but, you know, surviving. Isn't it weird how we as Raptors fans were sort of conditioned to, like, experience such a crazy high and be so elevated and then within a matter of days just get knocked down right again and just feel the lowest of lows? Yeah, it was quite a swing, and I don't want to be kind of too bogged down in one loss against the Orlando Magic without your best player, but it is crazy just the difference in kind of mood and feeling around the team after one loss. It Yeah, and you know what? It could be worse. We could be the Celtics that we could have lost to the Bulls, but we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> that is looking at it with the glass half full, yeah. Things are still going pretty well for the Raptors, obviously. They're, I think, pretty pretty locked in at that two seed right now. Um, when we first planned on having you on, it was before the Magic game. Now that we are talking after, what has been just kind of your general thoughts on the Raptors the past couple games, I guess, beyond the Spurs game? I'm trying not to fall into, like, a recency bias here because – um, you know, after a loss, you do sort of feel a little bit bogged down and a little bit uh, just low on the team, as we mentioned. But like in general, uh, it's only been two games since the break. Right. And so it, it's pretty hard to gauge how I'm going to feel about this team moving forward. Um, but if I'm going to be nitpicky, um, they still seem to not be gelling as much as I would like them to. Like I would have expected the chemistry to have sort of caught on by now, and it's not to the point in which I'm comfortable yet. And I don't know if that's going to be a continuous trend moving forward, and if it is, uh, I'm just a little nervous as to what that means for the team in the playoffs. No, I'm totally with you. It's 
And I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing such up and down performances from the team, not just game to game, but more, you know, within the game itself, you see seven minute runs where the team looks like it's unstoppable. And then the next, you know, quarter of play, it looks very kind of clunky and the offense doesn't look like it's running on all cylinders. And I think a lot of that just has to do with continuity with the team. Last year, you saw a team that really had an identity and they had the starting five was this, the bench five was this, and they knew what they were doing. And it just feels not only the mid-season acquisitions, but just, you know, with Kyle being injured for a stretch and Kawhi missing time, it doesn't feel like this team has a real identity at this point in the season, which is somewhat concerning, you know, nearly 60 games in. No, for sure. And it makes you wonder, like on paper, it's it's a good thing that they gotten these these players like the Jeremy Lins and the and the Marcus Sauls. That's a, that's a good thing to have for your team, especially to add some a little bit of stability <clears throat> that you know, on paper they didn't have previously before the acquisitions. But when you acquire players like this, as good as they are and as experienced as they are, there's still some, as you mentioned, chemistry that you have to develop. There's still some hand in hand, you know, nature that you have to develop on the floor that, you know, even though they're not practicing as much personally as I would like them to, um, you're not going to be experiencing these in-game situations during a practice time. And those in-game during uh, those in-game situations uh, that you can't replicate during practice, those are pivotal for these uh, newcomers to sort of experience with their new teammates. So they're sort of behind the curve right now. And that is sort of making me hesitant. Right. I think that these trades and acquisitions certainly raised the ceiling of this team, but I think they also lowered the floor to some extent on you at least knew what you were getting with the previous rotation. And as even though CJ was kind of pulled from the rotation lately, you lost, you know, pieces that have been with the team for at least a couple years and kind of knew their place in the system and knew what they were doing. Now with Gasol and Lynn, I think you added two more talented players than who were taking the minutes before, but you just add a little bit of unknown into that equation that you previously didn't have. Right, right. And, you know, that's 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 a gamble, right? And I understand the gamble. The gamble is worth it. It's worth it to have uh, your your ceiling raised, even at the, the risk of your floor being lowered, as you said. But, like, this is, this is the recipe that we've been introduced to this year. It's sort of by any means necessary, right? So you, when you... When you want to push your chips all in and the opportunity is sort of ripe for the taking, uh, and even though it's hand-in-hand with a team like Milwaukee, um, you have to just do everything you can, even at the risk of chemistry, and just hope that things click when it matters in mid-April. Yeah, you know, it's something that, you know, winning a championship or even getting to a finals is a low-probability game. No matter what, you're not likely to make the finals on any given season so in order to do that you have to increase your risk and that's something that Masai has been willing to do this season over and over it feels like this point is definitely kind of the breaking point for this team and whether we see the team get blown up after this year or not it feels like it will all hinge on this playoff for sure and I think that the message is sort of sent to Kawhi to uh, I guess you could say court him into staying. Uh, I think that when you make moves like this, because this is sort of unorthodox for Messiah Jerry to do, right? Even though he was sort of ready to pull the trigger when he first came in to blow it up and to make this team his own, since then, he's been very hesitant to do that. He's been very hesitant to break up the core of the team, like the We the North era that we've all been familiar with for the past couple of years. Now, this year, I think this is a message to Kawhi to say, look, by any means necessary, we're going to do everything we can to win a championship for this franchise and to make you realize that we're not just a, a sit-on-our-hands kind of franchise. We're, we're going to do what needs to be done in order to win. Yeah, absolutely. He's been someone who's kind of taken swings at singles his entire time as a GM and picked up a couple wins around the margins. And then this year, it finally felt like he pushed the chips to go all in. And we'll see if that works out. There's a very good chance, you know, with four contending teams in the Eastern Conference that it doesn't. But, you know, you had to make, you had to take that chance eventually. And I think that he was completely right, you know, with his thought process so far this season. Even if it doesn't work out, I 
believe that the thought process is at least there. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't fault him for it, even though the risk may make people a little bit uncomfortable. And with the emotional side of getting rid of, you know, mainstays, as I mentioned, like JV, these are the things that winning franchises have to do in order to accomplish the ultimate goal of winning a championship. Yeah, absolutely. So as far as what we've seen on the court so far, what have you seen from Mark Gasol specifically? Jeremy Lin, we can get to a little bit later on, and he's a big addition, but I I believe that the biggest addition, obviously, was Mark Gasol and what they traded for him. What have you seen from Mark on the court so far? It's strange because I still don't think he's comfortable. And I've seen a lot, of, even though the communication is there. Like I like how he's, he's inserted himself on the defensive end to be that defensive leader for the bench that was definitely lacking uh, prior to him joining the team. Right? He's very talkative. He's very loud on defense, pointing everywhere, telling people where they should move and where they should go. And that was missed. And that was something that I think the team lacked uh, before. But on the offensive end, besides his passing – which, as we know, like him being, you know, this veteran presence and a guy that has solidified himself as a, as a good passer, um, that's there. But he seems a little bit lost on off on offense, and I don't know if it's because, like I mentioned before, the chemistry just isn't there quite yet. But there, are, I don't know. I don't know if he's nervous. I don't know if he's trying to do a little bit too much to stake his claim on the team. But there, especially during this last game against Orlando, there was a couple of Jimmies. Like, a couple of bunny shots that I was just like, mm, if maybe if you were wearing a Memphis jersey and stayed, you might have made those because you were a little bit more comfortable. I'm just worried that he's doing a little bit too much on the offensive end, which is to the detriment of the to the rest of the team. It's something that you see a lot of times with midseason acquisitions by teams is whenever they're on the court, there's a kind of a pressure to give them the ball and to play through them. When... I just don't think that he's there at this point with this team where he needs to have the offense run through him. and He can do a lot of things, as you mentioned, defensively and spacing the floor and keeping the ball moving. But so far, to the detriment of the team, as you pointed out, I think that they're going through him a little bit too often right now. And I, that's just a natural progression to me of someone who's been added to a team and teammates almost over-deferring. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, don't get me wrong. I think when, if and when he gets the offense and it becomes almost second nature for him, I think he's going to be a force for this team. And I think he's going to be a guy that, like, right now the recency bias is that, oh, JV uh, was better suited for this team. He Look what he's doing in Memphis. I get that. But I don't think there's a debate that Marcus Hall is a better player, even though it might just be marginally better at this point. I'm not sure. But he's a better player than JV. Um, I think that when once he gets comfortable, once he gets his feet underneath him, and once he has uh, a more a better understanding of the scheming and the playmaking and the offense, I think he's going to be great. I mean, even with a bad game against Orlando, he still put up 16 points. So th- that's nothing to scoff at. Right. You mentioned he's a better player than JV. I also think he's a better fit for the postseason than JV was. He's specifically a better matchup against the Philadelphia 76ers. He's a better matchup against the Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks as well when you kind of look at what he can do both offensively to space the floor and what he can do defensively. He's not quite as big of a liability as JV is on that end. I understand he's not the mover that he once was. I still think defensively due to his awareness and everything like that, he's the better option on that end. And to me, if he's the better matchup against those three teams, then what does it really matter against the other 27? Exactly, yeah, and I think you nailed it. I think the mobility was something that I was, I guess, wary on when the Raptors made the, the trade. Um, he's not like the spring chicken that he once was. He, he's in the twi- entering the twilight of his career, I guess you can say. Um, but, you know, this is a playoff acquisition, and I think that, Although he looks a little bit lost right now, although uh, against uh, San Antonio, that was a game that, look, I don't like to pin things on referees. I'm not that guy. But it, the calls were definitely questionable at the very least, I think you could agree. And it just wasn't his game. And it, it made me sort of chuckle a little bit because there was a lot of Raptors fans on Twitter, right or wrong, that were 
uh, clamoring for him to be the starter of that game uh, because of, uh, the, you know, the matchup. So I think that, you know, once he he establishes himself and once he really picks up this offense, I think that is going to be the case more often than not. I think you are going to see him start more games. And I think Raptors fans just for now just got to be a little bit patient. So you're on the basis that he should be starting most games. When, if it's kind of broken down by playoff matchup, who would you start him against and who would you sit him if we're talking the three main opponents for the Raptors in the postseason? If we're talking, what's so the main opponents being the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Celtics? Yeah, sorry. All three. All three teams. Okay. See, I don't know if I start him against Milwaukee. I think okay. just with Brooke Lopez hanging out at the three-point line, I'd rather have Serge out there kind of patrolling the perimeter of the defense more than I would Gasol. I like him just for the rebounding aspect, and I think that's where he thrives more than than Serge. And I know that Milwaukee has a lot of shooters, but you're still going to need that rebounding presence underneath, especially on offense where the Raptors are struggling as much as they are. And if you know, worst comes to worst, that carries into the postseason. Having a guy underneath that can, you know, is able to put back a little bit better than Serge can, I think will be valuable. Because I think he can be a guy, especially under the boards, that can eat Lopez's lunch. Yeah, if you're talking on the offensive glass, that's certainly an area where, you know, he's he hasn't maybe excelled in that area as much as I'd like to see him kind of as a Raptor. And I think a lot of that has to do with him playing on the perimeter somewhat, but it is an area where you're right. He can kind of had that advantage against Brooke Lopez. He's also someone, you know, I see a lot of people upset that he isn't starting at center right now. And they say that his kind of skill set is wasted with the bench. I'm not sure I quite agree with that as much as everyone else. The bench has lacked playmaking for quite some time now, and they've really missed a creator on the second unit. And I know Mark isn't a creator in the same way a traditional point guard is, but with his ability to pass out of the post and his ability to run kind of the offense from the uh, elbow, he's able to find cutters like OG and Norm in the ways that the second unit has really lacked. And I think that his passing actually could be as useful, if not more useful, on the second unit than it is with the first unit. Definitely, and especially when you add in the element of Jeremy Lin with that. Having two uh, presents like that, like Jeremy Lin being a good playmaker and having a good passer like Mark Saul, there's a lot of cutting involved in there, and there's a lot of looks that you can just envision it right now that might be very, very nice for the Raptors, especially with this bench unit, because you're right, there's, there's just an element that's missing from this bench unit that was very much apparent last year that just isn't evident this year. And so when you have a guy, even though, like, yes, he's definitely, at least at one point, one of the top, if not the top centers uh, in, I, I guess, in the past, what, six, five, six years, you can say. Um, I know people like to cling on to that and say, like, we're wasting him right now. But you're right. When you add in the value of having a guy like that come off your bench, like, think about it. The, Memphis's best player at the time is coming off our bench. And I think, like... It, People might think that, oh, that's that's such a terrible thing. We're wasting them. But at the same time, I'm thinking, no, that speaks to the depth of this team. That speaks to the talent that this team have, has that we can use a guy like that for our bench unit. And if it clicks, it's going to pay off in fold. Right, yeah. And I think at least the rest of the season, you'll see Nurse do this matchup-based starting lineup where it depends on defensively how they match up and perhaps – who kind of is able to match up better defensively against the other team's backup center and things like that. I guess my question to you is, if you're going to start him in those three games, shouldn't he be starting more often now, or do you think it's just a bit of a time thing where he'll get his starts eventually? I think he's going to get his starts eventually, but I do think there is some value in trying to get him in, or trying to get him with as many reps with the starters as possible. Because... It's foolish to think that that's just going to click. It's foolish to think that if he just joins the starting unit at any point, whether it be like during a game, during a, a, a certain rotation, at a time at a game, that's just going to work. I think that's a little foolish. I think there is some added value to get those reps in, to get that time in, to develop that chemistry. Like I said, 
you can't necessarily get in a practice. Like game time situations is where you develop this sort of chemistry. And so I think that, you know, after the All-Star break, it wasn't probably the best idea to start him against San Antonio right away. Um, he's only played a handful of games with the team. Was it like five or six games has it been? Um, it's, so just give it time. Like there, there are matchups down the stretch that are in the Raptors' favor that I think would benefit him starting. And I think that when you had these sort of gimme games, even the last night, I would have, you know, or I guess I would have classified that as a gimme game. But, you know, moving forward, the Raptors have a very easy schedule. So this is the time to insert him into the starting lineup to develop that chemistry to pair them for the playoffs. Yeah, that's a great point. And as the bench starts to find their groove, it's helpful to have Serge play minutes with them as well. Because not only do you have to work on the chemistry of Mark with the starters, but also Serge has played the majority of his minutes with the starters this season. He needs to get some, you know, some repetition with the bench unit, especially a new guy, Jeremy Lin, who has played a couple games with the Raptors now. What have you seen from him so far? Uh, I like it. I, I know that his first game in, he seemed kind of lost. I, I want to say that was against Washington. He seemed a little bit lost uh, to start, and that's sort of to be expected. Like, he literally just came off the plane, signed a contract, and got geared up. So there wasn't much expectation on my end, but he still performed quite well. And you can see the value with him um, in comparison to a guy like Fred Van Vliet. Um, and I, it, if I'm going to be a betting man, it would not surprise me if Nurse rolled with Lynn a little bit heavier than he rolls with Van Vliet into the playoffs. And you see it. You see his off-ball work is a lot more significant and meaningful than Fred Van Vliet's. And his dribble, Lynn's dribble, is always with the purpose. You see Van Vliet sort of dribble in the air out of the ball and try to just make something out of nothing. But Lynn's dribble is with the purpose. There's always like something that he's trying to create. And even if there's nothing there, something that I've noticed from Lynn that Fred just doesn't do is Lynn has uh, a pretty good mid-range jumper. And I was thinking to myself, like, when's the last time you've seen Fred Van Vliet shoot a mid-range jumper, like, reliably, or, or even with the confidence to do it? It's usually a drive to the rim with a, uh, a layup to try to draw contact or it's a three-point shot. So when you have a guy like uh, Jeremy Lin that can do a little bit more, I think that's going to benefit the Raptors, and it would not surprise me, as I mentioned, if he eats into Lin's minutes, I mean, uh, Van Vliet's minutes a little bit. Well, and another thing that Lin has proven pretty capably during his time in Atlanta is he was always an excellent finisher around the rim, and more importantly, very good at getting shots at the rim. And if you're good at getting shots at the rim, those are obviously high-percentage looks, which makes you a pretty efficient scorer within the two-point arc. Fred Van Vliet has never been good at scoring around the rim. I Just with his physical limitations as far as size and athleticism, he probably will never be you know above average at that, and that's okay. But you're right, he does. Lynn gives an element of kind of real off-the-bounce fear into defenses that I don't believe you have as much with Fred Van Vliet. Another thing that works well is I think that they pair pretty nicely with each other. DeLon Wright was someone who is kind of a rangy point guard and a half type who could attack the rim and shoot good enough. That matches up pretty well with Jeremy Lin. So I, Fred VanVleet should match up relatively well with Jeremy Lin. Yeah, I, I, I think that's that's a good point. It just I'm not sure if I trust VanVleet being the primary ball handler in that situation. Like, I'd rather see him play the two but I don't know if that's where he's going to thrive. Like, I don't know if he's used to that type of role. Because when you see him play with Kyle Lowry, when sometimes Van Vliet's inserted into the starting lineup, it's Kyle that plays the two. And I know, like, size-wise, you would want Lynn to play the two, but I think just the ability to create, it benefits the team more if Lynn was the primary ball handler and you have Van Vliet sort of camp out in the corners or camp out above the wing thus he's not trying to do too much and it gives the opportunity for Lynn to create a little bit more yeah I think I think you'll definitely see that where you'll see this kind of teetering back and forth where it's taking turns bringing the ball up the court just getting each other used to having the ball and not having the ball playing one and two but defensively Lynn matches up pretty well as a two Fred although has been you know, less likely to play off the ball, has 
at least had some experience playing alongside Kyle Lowry, who's a natural point guard, and Pascal Siakam brings the ball up occasionally as well. I think that their fit is better than a lot would originally characterize it, just as I don't see an, either player as a true point guard. A lot, Both of them are kind of scores at nature and then play make off of that. And when you pair them together, I think they almost make up one point guard in the back and one shooting guard as they're kind of both at 1.5. Mm. No, that's a good point. Um, you raise another thing, too. I think that a lot of what is not being credited to Jeremy Lin is his defensive capabilities. Like, I know a lot of people like to think of him as a primarily offensive player, but from what little I've seen of him with him with when, what, three games that he's played with Toronto, um, the defensive intensity is there. And it's not like he's a slacker on, on, on defense. He's not, like, letting his man blow by him. And there's, he, it seems like he's able to stick with his man like glue and that his defensive presence is a bit underrated, I think. No, I think he's an average to above average defender. When you're talking compared to DeLon Wright, who he's replacing, he's probably a slight downgrade there. He's not quite as quick twitch on the defensive side, and his hands probably aren't that great. However, you know, a downgrade from DeLon Wright doesn't necessarily mean a below average player. I think he's at least average defensively and can lean towards good above average in limited minutes, which he's playing now, so he can really kind of lock in on the defensive end. Yeah, and you definitely lose a lot of length that you had with DeLon, right? Like, DeLon had the the length to sort of get into the into the body of, of the man he's defending and sort of aggravate him, and that's something that you're missing that Jeremy Lin just doesn't really have in his favor. Yeah, absolutely. You When Wright absolutely wanted to and was locked into a defender, he could kind of suffocate the airspace in a way that Lynn just isn't able to do that. However, I do think that Lynn's a hair better of a kind of team defender as far as I've seen a lot of times he's been very good at knowing when to give off help and when to stay with his man so far. And obviously it's a small sample size, but as far as a team defender, he's shown to be just as capable there, if not quite as elite of an individual defender. Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to point out that I, I do think that, you know, although he is a, a primarily good offensive player, a lot of what doesn't get spoken about with about Jeremy Lin is his defensive capabilities. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Just this Raptors team in general, a lot of their value as a team comes from having guys who are neither liabilities offensively or defensively, which is really something that once the playoffs come around, I think will be a big help. No, for sure. Definitely. I hope so, at least. You know, like that's something that was missing last year is that the defensive intensity wasn't there. So I'm hoping that uh, with these added defenders, with this, I, I, I don't want to say with the, the, the primary focus, it isn't on defense. It's just not. But the defensive capability has certainly improved this uh, going into this playoffs uh, than last year. Yeah, absolutely. As far as defensive rating, they're not as good of a team as they were last season. They don't rank as high defensively, yet when you just look at the defenders individually on the team, you see, as we talked about, kind of having a lower floor and higher ceiling, you see the ceiling for this team defensively, especially when everything's clicking together and they're helping and rotating off. You see the individual defenders and you see kind of the overall speed and athleticism of a team that you didn't have last year. Yeah, exactly. And I think that if you know, the the playoff switch is flipped, like that narrative uh, that we're familiar with with veterans, if that is uh, flipped in the playoffs, then I think it's going to benefit them. And I hope that we see that defensive intensity sort of broken out because when you play teams, when you play shooting teams like Milwaukee, uh, you're going to need that. And there's a reason why the phrase defense wins championships is present. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. I mentioned that the team doesn't have any liabilities on either end of the court. That is somewhat true. It depends on how their playoff rotation is cut. Let me ask you, who would you pick as the playoff rotation if the playoffs were today? Or if, I I guess I shouldn't phrase it that way, as Fred Van Vliet's injured. Guessing right now, how do you think the playoff rotation lines up? So the starting five, I would put at, uh, let me see, Lowry, Green, Kawhi, Siakam, and I guess I would have to say Gasol because I think the the matchups that the Raptors, if it, the playoffs started today, and if you froze the standings, 
I think that would benefit the Raptors more than starting Serge. And again, this is assuming that the chemistry is developed and that he gets a little bit more reps with the starters. So in a perfect world, that would be my starting five. And off the bench, you would have Fred, uh, I guess Norm, Serge, OG, and Lynn. I'm not really comfortable having Norm there, but I guess I for the defensive presence, that's what I would use. Yeah, I mean, so far this season, Norm has been a better player than OG has in many instances, and he's been certainly a more reliable player offensively. Defensively, there's, you know, I think OG probably has the higher potential to reach his capabilities there. However, Norm's also been very good on that end. To me, I agree with you that it's those 10 right now, and I really don't think that there's anyone else I rely on this on this Raptors roster that I can really trust once the playoffs come around. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. 10 is still plenty. I A lot of teams don't even have 10 guys they can trust. However, I just if we're talking the playoff rotation, I'm not sure anyone besides those 10 really matters. No, that's true. And I don't think you're going to see like, – I think the 10-man rotation is, is good. Um, it's just that I worry about the struggles continuing. Like I know OG is dealing with – personal matters and like he's been hit or missed throughout the season as you've been mentioning so i think in an instance like that depending on how well say a player like patrick mccaw continues to play or maybe a meeks continues to play even though albeit it's only been one game for him um i think having those two just in the arsenal would be beneficial for them because with with the playoffs we can't afford to sort of fall into a trap like in other words we can't afford for the team to go on these long runs and have the deficit expand so if you're going to have like quick players like a patrick mccaw just for i don't know a quick three minutes just to give a, a player a rest if it's not working with him or if you have a meeks just to get the shooting in i mean that's why we acquired him um i don't necessarily consider that a bad thing no i i think you obviously have those kind of breaking glass, break glass in case of emergency type situations. However, I'm not sure that if the play doesn't improve on the stretch run here, I'm not totally sure that OG and Anobi makes the final rotation even. I could see this lineup getting cut to nine, and if it's cut to nine, then it's going to be Lynn Gasol, uh, Lynn Gasol, Fred Van Vliet, and Powell off the bench or surge, whichever center, uh, rather than OG. And if the play doesn't improve there, it wouldn't shock me if he was out of the rotation come playoff time. Yeah, I can see that. I think that's – I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I because it's only because I think people are so attached to OG. But I can definitely see that. Like it's sort of like a, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of thing with OG. And it's not that he's been bad. It's just that I haven't really seen him break out save for I think that one game he started against Cleveland that city edition game where he had just a a monster night but other than that it hasn't really been that impressive and my confidence in him is not nearly as high as it was last year however you sort of like I mentioned about the defense having OG on the defensive end if he's right even if he's not clicking offensively just that defensive presence might be beneficial for this team yeah, that's certainly the case, especially when you're talking about matching up against the Milwaukee Bucks where you have Giannis and you can, I mean, obviously Kawhi will spend some time on him, but more than that, I think you have to throw different bodies at him and one of those bodies would be extremely helpful as OG Ananobi. So when you talk about wing defenders, obviously they're always going to be at a premium. And if OG can at least hit shots and play defense, like you said, he certainly is you know, a, value, a valuable part of this team. Yeah, and I think when you have the playoff experience from OG in regards to guarding a guy like LeBron last year, and not just guarding him, guarding him pretty well as much as he did last year, I think if that is able to carry in, like, again, these are a bunch of ifs, these are a bunch of hypotheticals, so I'm sort of, like, keeping my eager tongue on a leash here, but if that is something that he can, you know, carry into this playoffs and guard top-tier players like Giannis, um... I think that would benefit him because on paper, even though like if if Giannis is playing like extended minutes and Kawhi needs a rest, uh, I don't know that I would trust really anybody else on the defensive end off the bench more than than OG. 
No, that's a great point. And, you know, as we kind of talk about it more here, I'm starting to think the Philadelphia 76ers certainly don't have a shortage of forwards that you have to match up with. And I think OG will be critical in that matchup. It really, I guess, would only depend on then the Boston series is the only possibility of him getting pulled because I don't think offensively, or, yeah, offensively they have as many wings that can kind of put pressure on the defense. However, you know, as we kind of talk about it out loud here, I don't think that there's any chance that they sit him against the Bucks or against the Philadelphia 76ers. No, there's definitely a case in which he wouldn't be as needed against a team like Boston. You're absolutely right. But I think when it, if, if we're all zeroing in on a team like the Bucks, and I think that's what's on everybody's mind. Like it's, I think the assumption is that's going to come down to Raptors, Bucks, and the Eastern Conference Finals. Having a defensive presence like OG would be beneficial. I'm not quite as sold as you as far as it's going to necessarily be Bucks Raptors. I think the Philadelphia really? se- yeah the Philadelphia 76ers with the addition of Harris and they've also added you know not that it's a huge addition but James Ennis to the bench and I just think the way that they're playing now and the way Harris fits as a fourth option I wouldn't write them off just yet. That's interesting to me. Like I understand there was a lot of hype. Uh, with the Sixers starting lineup, especially after the acquisition of Harris. But um, I don't know, man. Like, I I think, all right, so if we froze the standings right now, uh, what would it be? It would be Bucks, Hornets, Raptors, Pistons, Pacers, Nets, Sixers, Celtics. Well, yeah, here's what it all kind of hinges on to me, is is Indiana able to hold on to that three seed? And that... I mean, if you're a Raptors fan, you should be a Pacers fan the rest of the season. If you can find a way for, you know, it's funny, last season it lined up, the Raptors were the one seed. I said they got caught a tough break with the Cavaliers earning the fourth seed. That was kind of hand-waved as the Cavs were done. If you could get it this season where it lines up the exact opposite, where you get the second seed and somehow you get the easiest draw of the Eastern Conference, that's a great break for the Raptors. Yeah, I think that's that's it. I think the only reason why we would want that number one seed is to have home court advantage against the Bucks. But if the Bucks are going after a team like I don't know Boston, round two or something, or you know, like I think that would be beneficial because a team like Boston can sort of slow them down, I think, or make them a little bit more tired. And I think the Raptors. Going, looking at this playoff matchup, this potential playoff matchup, uh, I think that they got it kind of easy going forward if the, if the schedule was frozen right now. Yeah, no offense to the Pacers. Though. They've done well so far. I just don't know if Wesley Matthews and whoever else can make up for Victor Oladipo enough that they'll keep in that third spot. But at this point, it's kind of hard to question them now. No, for sure. I, I'm not convinced. Right, and you can call me crazy for this. I'm not convinced that they aren't better than the Celtics right now. Like, on paper, the Celtics should be amazing. They really should. But, I mean, like, I don't know about you. I'm sort of a believer in some intangibles. And right now, that team is at an all-time high when it comes to dysfunction. And I think that's a real deal, and it's amplified in a market like Boston. And when you have people talking about this all around you and you have a frustrated leader or quote-unquote leader like Kyrie, um, and it's it's definitely not uh, doing them any favors in terms of rationale. And, I mean, sorry, in terms of morale, rather. Um, it would not surprise me at all if the only thing that we see is a flip between Indiana and Philadelphia. No, I I think that's definitely possible. And the Celtics, to me, they have as Draymond Green put it, there's 16 game players and there's 82 game players. They have two pretty excellent 16-game players in Kyrie Irving, who I think has shown an ability to elevate his game in the playoffs, and Al Horford, who has shown an ability to elevate his game in the playoffs as well. But if we're talking in terms of who's going to get the final seeding there, I it would be pretty hard for me to believe that the Celtics chase down the Pacers, and that leaves just the 76ers, who are obviously integrating a lot of new players onto their team as we speak. Yeah, that and I, I don't know how long this absence is planned for Embiid. I don't know if you have a an ear to the ground when it comes to that, too. No, I don't know what's been going on with Embiid. It's weird that he played in the All-Star game and then now is sitting out. 
due to some knee stuff. Obviously, for them, they're going to focus on his health as they should, as it matters way more than their seating. But that's a weird situation. It's something that obviously needs to be kind of followed throughout the season is his injury history is not that long ago. Yeah, and it's – look, I don't know if they view their schedule as sort of favorable and this is the time. I mean, like, I guess Kawhi made uh, scheduled maintenance cool again because it, it's certainly uh, something that the Sixers are paying, uh, sorry, taking advantage of right now. So I, I don't know. I don't know if this is the smartest move. I don't know the severity of, you know, his woes right now. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if it's just, as I mentioned, just scheduled maintenance. I don't know. So if this is something that they're sort of gambling on, um, that's another question mark right there. I don't think it's as much of a question mark as, as Boston's uh, chemistry issues or team morale issues is because I think with, with Philadelphia, you have other players that can sort of pick it up, especially now. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this all falls going into the playoffs. Do you think the Raptors have any chance at still earning the one seed in the East? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, what, they're only two games behind right now. And their schedule right now, in terms of uh, cumulative winning percentage, I think the NBA phrased it, um, is the most favorable in the league. So, assuming that they can, they only have two back-to-backs uh, remaining. I think they have nine home games of the remaining 21 games. Um, that's pretty good. I mean, like, even though they lost at home yesterday, uh, it's still good to have a, a decent chunk of your games in your home court um and they're playing a, a, a decent amount of teams under 500 so this is something that the raptors should take advantage of my only fear is that if milwaukee still pushes and they're still you know as strong as they seem then they're sort of just chasing the bucks tail uh no pun intended so i i think that with with the strength of schedules that the raptors have now is the time to sort of take advantage of that and if they can lock on to the number one seed, it's literally only just to have uh, home court advantage, as I mentioned, against the Bucks. Because I, I said this on your show before, man. Like, I'm not huge on having the number one seed because last year we were chasing it, and it didn't really do us any favors in the playoffs, right? And so I, I'm maybe that's a shell shock from last year, but if only if for anything else, just have home court advantage against the Bucks. That's it. See, I don't see it as that realistic of an option as we look at it right now. The Bucks are, yes, they're only two games up, but they're three games up in the loss column, and they hold the tiebreaker against the Raptors. So that's essentially the Raptors need the, to lose five less games than the Bucks the rest of the season in order to catch them. At this point, it's really going to be hard for them to do that, I think. The Bucks have only uh, 23 games remaining. If the Bucks go something like 17-6, and six, the Raptors would have to lose only two games the rest of the way out. And I just, that's a tough hill to climb if you're Toronto. Yeah, especially, all right, so I'm looking at the Bucks schedule right now. You have them playing the Kings. They should win. I'm, I'm just checking it out. Um, they have a game against the 76ers moving forward. They have a game against the Rockets moving forward. They have two against the Nets, another one against the Sixers, and one against the Thunder. Um, those are questionable games, but if the Bucks are rolling, then, yeah, it might not be in the Raptors' advantage. Yeah, it's just, to me, when there's only 23 games left and you have, you know, that two in the game's back column is very deceiving because it's three in the loss column, and then you lost the head-to-head against them, which makes everything more complicated. For Toronto, to me, it's going to be pretty difficult to get that number one seed. The good news, if you're a Raptors fan, I'm not sure if you even want the number one seed right now as I'd rather face the Pacers in the second round than I would the 76ers or Celtics. Yeah, for sure. Let them battle it out. Like I said, let them make each other tired and for a potential series against the Raptors, because I think that would play into their hands quite well. So as we go down the final stretch here, if you were Nick Nurse, what would you be looking for kind of in these final 20 or so games? And what would you be specific, specifically targeting as a coach? All right, well, when it comes to the players on the floor, they have to – I know it sounds like very like armchair coach right here, but they got to shoot the ball better. They have to. They're, yesterday's game against Orlando and previous games before this, there were a lot of open looks, like a lot of open looks that you would think that this team is capable of hitting, and which I still believe that they are. 
they're just not falling. And I don't know if this is a matter of just throwing my conspiracy hat on. I don't know if this is a matter of not getting enough practice in. I don't know if this is a matter of, you know, being a little bit soft with his players when it comes to practice time. I don't know, but they got to ramp it up. Like, this is the time. This is the stretch that they got to ramp it up. The All-Star game and the All-Star break has passed. It's, it's nothing but all hands on deck right now. So they have to amp up the shooting. The defensive intensity is sort of lacking as well. Like, yes, the San Antonio game was exciting. But, like, there are, there are often times that the Raptors are caught sleeping, especially underneath. Like, there are a lot of times where you see that cutter underneath against the Raptors, and they're just getting beat. So they need to amp up the defensive intensity. They need to amp up the shooting. And if I'm Nick Nurse, he's got to make a little bit more of a coaching adjustment. Like, he's got to not be afraid to pull players when they're not uh, meshing well on the floor, when they just don't have it. And also something that's bugged me all year with him, all season with him, is that he's got to be quicker to call a timeout. Like, you see the opposition when the Raptors go on, like, 5, 6, 7, 0 runs. Like, the opposition will call a timeout immediately. Nurse, you notice he's waiting until, like, a 10, 12, 0 run. And that just is not, not going to work. Those types of runs are going to be crucial for the Raptors to avoid in the playoffs. Because if you're going to let the other team roll, the Raptors are just going to be done. They're going to be cooked. So those are the three main things that I need to see the Raptors improve on. No, that's a great point. And something that's kind of, as you mentioned, the timeouts, one thing I've been very hesitant to criticize Nick Nurse for a lot of is his rotations kind of throughout the season. My thought process has always been, you know, you're not just coaching to win the game. You're coaching to win the 82-game season and to try different things out. Even if it doesn't feel like it's going to make sense, you at least should try to get a general sample size of different lineups on the floor together. We've passed that point, and we've passed the point, as you mentioned, not calling timeouts on runs anymore to let your team play through it. At this point in the season, we should be coaching as if it's the playoffs. as kind of a dress rehearsal for the playoffs, and I'd like to see the focus kind of move away from winning the 82-game season and more focus on what we need to do each game, each night, in order to get a victory. No, it's a great point. Like, the whole fluidity with the lineups, like the experimentation, that was cute. That was awesome in the in the beginning of the year. All for it. By now, you should definitely know what's going to work and what's not going to work. I know there are new players on this team, as we mentioned. I know there's still chemistry to be, to be developed. I get it. But right now, you need to have these rotations set. And I think that's why last year, maybe not in the second round of the playoffs, but last year you saw the Raptors be so successful because everybody on the floor – knew their role. They knew their place. And that's not saying anything as an indictment to any players. That's not to say that there are certain players that deserve to be on the bench. It's just what works for the team. And when you have players that have the mindset of this is my role, this is what I'm on this team for, period, then that doesn't allow a lot of like guessing game work. And I think that's going to benefit them if they can sort of eliminate that. The only thing that I would be flexible on moving forward is – if you really want to, again, flip-flop Serge and Gasol, but I, from this point on, I want to see Gasol get more starts than not. But I think it's okay just so Serge can sort of, you know, not lose his touch, that he's, he's been pretty decent all year. So to not lose what he's been developing all year, give him a little bit of starting minutes here and there. But m- moving forward, there has to be defined roles for this team. Right. I, when you talk about Serge and Gasol starting, if that's your plan for the playoffs to kind of flop it by matchup, then they should do that throughout the regular season. If the plan is to have Gasol start in the playoffs, then Gasol should be starting the rest of the way out. I just, whatever your plan is during the postseason, that's what you need to be running right now and getting prepared for that postseason. Like I said, using these last 20 games as kind of your final hurrah warm up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like that. I'm not sure that Nurse is going to operate that way. That's my fear. I'm not sure that he's going to allow himself to not be fluid with rotations, not be fluid with matchups. I I get it that sometimes they serve a purpose, but right now these players need to get used to each other in a playoff atmosphere, in playoff situations. And I know like not every game for the rest of the way is going to be a playoff-type game, but in order to develop that chemistry, in order to understand – where these players stand with this team in terms of their role 
and their uh, their I guess for lack of a better way to put it, their place for the for the playoffs. These things need to be established. They need to be concrete. And if they remain fluid, like I said, it's going to involve a lot of guessing games. I think mentally for these players moving forward. That's a great point, Adam. Is there anything that you want to mention or talk about on the team before we go? Uh, no, it's it's. I know it seems like I'm I'm down on the team. I'm not. I'm not at all. I just when it comes to this team, like this year has been so hyped, and next year remains a huge question mark. That I just want to see him do it. I, I I'm I'm tired of waiting for it. And I think a lot of Raptors fans are too. So I just this team is capable of making a deep deep playoff run. And I just want to see them do it. I want to see them live up to their potential, and I have no doubt that they can. It's just, will they and will Nurse allow them to? So if, if people are nervous about the team, don't. Like, I'm not down on them at all, and I, and I don't think you are either. But just, like, you know, hopefully that, like we mentioned, they they establish their roles. They become a little bit more solid and structured moving forward. And if they do that, I don't think we have anything to worry about. No, that's a great point. I mean, we talk about things that we're concerned on this pod if they were 40 and 42 or if they were projected to be a 500 team we want to be nervous about those things because it really wouldn't matter and the fact that you are kind of sweating over the little details shows just the ceiling of this team and the potential that this team could be in the playoffs this year yeah for sure for sure like i said like a lot of people like to complain about like lineups and stuff on twitter and sometimes they're valid but just like just ride with this team, ride it out, see what happens, and I think we're in for a treat come playoff time. I don't think it's going to be a repeat like last year of a second-round sweep. I think we can pretty much be sure that we're not going to see that again. All right, Adam, thank you for joining me. Yeah, man, thank you. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.